Welcome to the Pro-Life Team podcast. I'm Daniel Nervous from Nightlight Christian Adoptions with Jacob from iRapture, and we're here to talk about embryo adoption. So, so Daniel, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Would you introduce yourself as if you were speaking to a room of pregnancy clinic directors or pregnancy clinic uh, leadership um, team members or pro-life leaders for that matter? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. My name's Daniel Nervous. I'm the president of Nightlight Christian Adoptions. We're an adoption agency that was founded 63 years ago to address the problem of women facing unplanned pregnancy. And so for more than 60 years, we've offered unbiased and uncoercive pregnancy counseling. For those who are looking to place for adoption, we have Christian families in our offices in 10 states. And for those women who choose not to place, then we offer whatever financial assistance or counseling assistance they need throughout their pregnancy and six weeks afterward. Awesome. So will you, yeah, speak to, um, tell us about the, the current state of embryo storage in the U S like when it comes to frozen, uh, embryos, like what, yeah. I, I, yeah. What, what are your thoughts in sure. that space? Well, I think most people would be surprised to find out that as many as one in 10 couples around them have done in vitro fertilization to create embryos. We know that one in six couples struggles with infertility. And so of those who struggle with infertility, at least half of them go down the IVF route at some point and create some embryos. <clears throat> so every church, for instance, has families, maybe many families, hundreds of families that have embryos in frozen storage. And this creates for those families or those couples who created embryos uh, a little bit of a guilt problem for them because they know that they have an unresolved problem that they ought to be doing something about. They created, let's say a typical couple creates 10 embryos in their quest to have a baby. And of those 10 embryos, they may use four of those embryos to be implanted. And from those four embryos, they were implanted two babies. You know, so let's say most couples are looking to have two babies. So it took four embryos to get two babies, and now they've got six embryos left over, and those embryos are in frozen storage somewhere. We know that the number of embryos in the United States in frozen storage is now close to 1.2 million. And we have been the recipient of the Embryo Adoption Awareness Grant that George Bush instituted in 2002. We've been the recipient of that grant for, for almost every year since then. And we used that grant to do research about what are people doing with their embryos when they're in storage. And the vast majority yeah. of people have no plan at all of what to do with their embryos. In other words, most people haven't made a decision. They're, going, they're, they're doing nothing about it except continually storing those embryos year after year. And so oddly enough, although all of our families who place their embryos for adoption are pro-life, because the easy thing to do would be to, to destroy those embryos, right? I mean, the so-called easy, the perceived felt easy thing to do would be destroy the embryos. The, there's something that pushes people over the edge and makes them go that extra step of giving these embryos to another couple, letting someone else raise their biological child. And what would compel someone 
to let someone else raise their biological child. It's a, a passion for life. It's a pro-life work that we're doing. But not everyone has that pro-life uh, passion or pro-life compulsion. So that's why most people are planning on doing nothing with their embryos. Most people don't want to destroy them. I mean, your average citizen, even if they're not Christian, even if they're not pro-life, they don't want to destroy their embryos because they look at their children who've been born from them. And then they know that these are human beings. They see their own kids. And most people don't want to donate them to science. You know, they're not interested in those embryos being used for that purpose. So they just need a little bit of an invitation and a push. Let's do something about these embryos today. Let's donate them to another family who's going to have their dreams come true. Wow. So how does, yeah. So tell me, tell, talk more about the adoption process of a, of a, of a frozen embryo. Like what does that the look adoption like? process of an embryo is pretty much the same as adopting an infant in many ways. We conceived of this idea of the snowflakes program in 1997. Snowflakes means they're frozen, tiny gifts from above and unique. So that's what embryos are. And what made our program different from everyone else who was clinics that were doing embryo donation, the reason we use the word adoption is that we've employed the three core elements of social work into this process. So sometimes the clinics and the medical community will object and say, the word adoption shouldn't be used. You're muddying the waters. You shouldn't use the word adoption. We use the word adoption because we have a home study. So the family who receives the embryos goes through a home study. We use the word adoption because it's an open relationship where both parties know each other. The receiving family, the adoptive family will know the contact information and names of the donor family. They'll contact them. They'll, they'll send them pictures of the baby. The placing family will send birthday gifts. So this is an open relationship the placing family will actually choose the adoptive family. So very similar to domestic adoption. And then the third element that we introduced here was the matching process is done by our clinical team. Our, we have a social worker involved in this team and it's done by the agency. So this isn't self-matching. There are websites where people can self-match for embryos, but that's just not a best practice of social work. So what we identified even back in the 90s is that people weren't donating their embryos anywhere because they had certain huge questions about the process. Like, how do I know that it's going to be a good family? How do I know it's going to be a safe family? How do I know I would like the family? And will I even know if a baby's ever born? And if you have an anonymous program, like a lot of clinics do, you don't know that it's a good family. It's just a family that's a patient of that clinic. That doesn't make them a good family. You're not going to know the outcome. No one's going to tell you a baby was born. You're not going to know whether you have anything in common with that family because you're not picking that family. So we knew that not only would we be able to introduce social work practice to this, we would actually increase the donation rates. We could get people to say yes to this. Uh, we could get them to say yes if they had confidence in the process. If we could convince people it is a good family, you can pick the family, you'll know the outcome, then more people would choose to give life to their embryos. 
And as a result, we've seen thousands of people come to our program and go from, I don't know, or I could never do that, or I'm too scared, to yes, I will offer my embryos to another family because we've given them confidence in this process. Wow. So essentially, um, yeah, this topic of, you know, talking about uh, snowflake embryos, you know, embryos who are frozen. Well, I, f I feel like I haven't heard much about it outside of your group. Honestly, I, I feel like in the pro-life sphere, it's not one of the topics that I, I don't think I've ever heard about it ever at like a heartbeat care yeah. NIFLA Alliance for life conference. Well, I'll be um, honest, Jacob, there, there is some resistance to okay. talking about snowflakes. It is a difficult conversation to have, and there are barriers to awareness. Let's start with the Christian community and we'll talk about the medical community. One of the barriers in the Christian community that we've heard directly from our partners in foster care and our partners in international adoption. Here's what they say. Yes, we agree that there's a problem with embryos and we agree that they ought to be given life, but it's not urgent. What's urgent is the kids in foster care. What's urgent is the kids in orphanages. So let's solve the orphanage problem and the foster care problem first, and then we'll worry about the embryos. The embryos aren't going anywhere. They're safe on ice. So that's one of the problems. And I've heard that explicitly stated to us by leaders in this field. So I know that that is a serious, real barrier because that's being articulated. The second problem is that the leaders of the pro-life movement are Catholics. I mean, I, I myself have a Christian, uh, a Protestant ministry background. I was a Protestant pastor for 17 years, but I was also a pro-life leader. I stood with my family in front of Planned Parenthood many times. And when I'm in front of a Planned Parenthood protesting, everyone there is Catholic. You know, the, the leadership in the pro-life movement is the Catholic Church. They are the, the front runners and for any Protestant, they're our best friend in that movement. But the Catholic Church has some uncertainty about embryo adoption. Uh, I say uncertainty because the Catholic Church has not explicitly stated that embryo adoption is okay. There are some well-known Catholic theologians like Elizabeth Rex, who's a Catholic scholar and uh, works at a Catholic university, who've explicitly made an argument in favor of embryo adoption. But in general, the Catholic sentiment is suspicion about embryo adoption. And the suspicion comes from the fact that IVF is the first step. Not the first step for us, it's not the first step for snowflakes or for adoption, but it was the first step in the process long ago. And so it raises this question uh, that I think is a fair question. Some, some well-informed Catholics, will, uh, scholars will ask us, aren't you implicitly condoning IVF if you're doing this by the very fact that you're giving people an out? In other words, you're, someone could go to their doctor and say, I don't know if I wanna do IVF, but I guess we'll go ahead and do it, even though it goes against the Catholic Church teaching, because if we have extra embryos, we could always just give them to nightlight. And so people will say, well, you are giving people an option to do IVF with a better, you know, cleaner conscience.
because they always know they can just donate to Snowflakes when they're done. So in that sense, you are implicitly condoning in vitro mm. fertilization. But that's not true. Um, I'll be frank, the, the staff that we have who work for the Snowflakes program, many of them have worked with us for decades. The closer they get to this field, the more information they get, the more statistics we get, the less comfortable we are with IVF. Uh, for the most part, the staff in our Snowflakes program are not in favor of in vitro. They have serious concerns about it that they share with the Catholic Church. But we're not causing the problem. We're solving the problem. I mean, it's it's like someone, it would be like a pregnancy center saying, aren't you condoning sex outside of marriage by giving these women an option to get support when they're facing an unplanned pregnancy? It's the same argument. We're, we're not pregnancy centers aren't condoning sex outside of marriage. Adoption agencies aren't condoning sex outside of marriage. We're solving a problem. We're in, in my 12 years that I've been at nightlight, no one has ever called me up and said, Dan, we're, we're thinking about doing in vitro, but we just want to get your opinion about it first. <laughs> People don't call and ask me my opinion. They do in vitro because they feel like it. And they do in vitro, they cause a problem. The problem is extra embryos. So they call us not because they're looking for permission. They call us because they're looking for a solution to it. Um, and let me also share just the brute reality in the medical field about why you don't care about embryo adoption. It is more financially lucrative for a fertility doctor to talk you into IVF where they could make $100,000 than to talk you into snowflakes where they might make $4,000. So a frozen embryo transfer, which is required for snowflakes adoption, costs about 4,000 bucks. But most couples who do IVF, it takes three in vitro cycles in order to have a successful baby. About 86% of couples will have a baby after three in vitro cycles. Well, that's gonna yield that doctor $100,000. So the medical community is not talking about it. The orphan rescue community isn't talking about it. Uh, and the Catholic Church isn't talking about it. So much as you would think that we have allies surrounding us in all of these fields, there is, it's, they're allies and friends surrounded with suspicion and concern. Hmm. Yeah, that, that it makes sense what you're saying. And I just sort of wish there was more awareness and understanding because here I am someone who's worked in this pro-life space for 24 years. And until I was connected with your group, I did, I had never heard of it before. Like, honestly, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone else mention this topic. And I'm familiar and just, with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar oh, with people feeling that way. I mean, what on Orphan Sunday, Orphan Sunday was the first Sunday of November this year. Often we will set up booths and info tables at big churches on Orphan Sunday. And every year that I do this, someone comes up to me and says they want to have a baby, but they're having difficulty having a baby. And they hear about embryo adoption. And usually they, they come to tears and they're crying for two reasons. First, they're crying because it's the answer to their dreams. You know, they'll, they'll actually verbalize it and say, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been dreaming about. This is a dream come true. But then those tears are also frustration. And they'll also articulate this. 
why didn't anyone tell me about this? Why didn't my doctor tell me about it? Why didn't my adoption agency tell me about it? So they, they it's bittersweet, you know, they're upset that they didn't know about it sooner, but they also feel extremely hopeful that it's their dream come true. Um, the reason yeah. that this is a dream come true for people is in a domestic adoption, you have to wait to be picked by a birth mom. The birth mom could change her mind and the birth mom may very likely have drug exposure. So there could be complications from the drug exposure. She could change her mind after the placement, or she may take year, it may take years for a couple to be picked by a birth mom. With embryo adoption, there's no wait to be picked because we have the same number of embryos as we do adoptive families. So you don't have to wait to be picked. Uh, the, the embryos aren't gonna be drug exposed because you're the birth mom. You know, the prenatal environment is completely up to the adoptive family. You're giving birth to your adopted child. So you know the baby's not gonna be drug exposed because it's you're gonna be the birth mom. And then uh, you don't have to worry about anyone changing their mind because the embryos get shipped to you. It's a, uh, a agreement that's never been disputed in court. We've been doing this for 23 years. It's never been challenged. So there's just no legal complications. There's no medical concern about drug exposure and um, no concern about being picked. Wait, can you expand on how the frozen embryos are shipped to someone? Can you explain, expand yeah, on that sure. a bit? So the embryos are, most embryos in the country are stored at a small number of clinics. Like for instance, Fairfax Cryobank is a embryo storage facility. We work with, we're willing to work with any embryologist, any clinic that does frozen embryo transfers, but we prefer to work with a select number who are going to say, yes, this goes back to the pro-life mission of, of what we do. Our, one of our battle cries is that every embryo deserves a chance of life, but there's a lot of clinics out there that don't want what they consider bad embryos they consider bad embryos like you know they have their ways of ranking embryo quality they don't want bad embryos because their statistics get published publicly every year on the cdc website there's only about 700 clinics in this country that do frozen embryo transfers so all of them get rated on their success rate this clinic has a 55 percent chance of a baby being born after a frozen embryo transfer another clinic may have a 45 percent chance of a baby being born so the theory is they don't want what they consider bad embryos because they don't want their statistics to go down. But we have found a very small number of clinics that are so pro-life and so like-minded that they believe that every embryo deserves to be given a chance of life. So they'll say yes to our embryos. They'll, they'll accept them from us. So we have some go-to clinics where we say, we need you to take these embryos. And so what we'll do is we'll tell the adoptive family, here's a clinic that'll take your embryos. We need you to travel to Tennessee to on this, you know, it, it, when the doctor says that it's the right month for you or right time of month, travel to Tennessee, have your frozen embryo transfer done at that clinic. Uh, and they're, they're the ones who are willing to do this procedure. So we have those partnerships. And then uh, the embryos will actually be shipped by FedEx to that clinic from the storage facility where they'll do the frozen embryo transfer. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that seems so, um, it seems like almost like science fiction, honestly, to have an embryo yeah. shipped by FedEx. 
<laughs> yeah, and then of course the other science fiction element to this is not just people giving birth to um to their adopted children, but they're giving birth to children who may have been created who are older than they are. I mean, <laughs> one wow. of our partners in this field, uh, another embryo adoption program, had hmm. a baby born this year that was older than its parents. As far as when it was frozen, the baby was frozen more than almost 30 years ago and the parents were younger than 30. <laughs> wow. That is, wow, what an interesting thought. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, so I'm going to make a, you know, an assumption that many pregnancy clinic directors are, are brand new to this topic. And, and uh, not all, but, you know, let's say many. Um, what would you like them to know about about frozen embryos and snowflakes? Like, what would be helpful to someone who is working in a Pringsy clinic? Um, yeah, you know, working okay, with sure. uh, clients and people who are essentially really, and also having a connection with it. You know, is a Pringsy clinic a good connection, or is this really a better connection? Would be adoption, ado you know, organizations that provide adoption. To well, the pregnancy parents. centers are a good connection because these are pro-life minded people. So here's what I would want them to know. First of all, that they have that their, their other pro-life minded friends and financial supporters and church members have done IVF. I guarantee it. I mean, I can tell you this, we have Catholic clients donating embryos. We, there are Catholics who created embryos that are donating embryos to our program, even though they know that their church would have frowned upon that practice of them creating mm. those embryos. And they there are Catholics looking for embryos, even though they know their church might frown on it. So there's just this reality that people um, in the pro-life community need to understand. You have friends who created embryos, who have embryos in frozen storage, who haven't done anything about it. So yeah, I would want any pro-life friend of ours to know that they have friends with frozen embryos and storage who they should prompt and nudge and prod and say, it's time to donate your embryos to snowflakes. Uh, so that's the first step. And then the, the second is to know that um, this is a pro-life ministry because we are not creating a problem, we're solving a problem. We're trying to give every embryo a chance of life. Also to recognize, as I said, that there are clinics who don't want these embryos. And so these embryos need every friend they can find, every advocate they can find, because we need there to be clinics who are gonna say yes to giving these embryos a chance of life. It's not so simple as just having an adoptive family and a placing family willing to connect with each other. Nothing happens unless there's a clinic that's going to take these embryos. So I think we need to recognize there is a such thing as a pro-life fertility doctor. There is a such thing as a pro-life embryologist. There is a such thing as a pro-life person doing frozen embryo transfers. We may be suspicious. We may not, uh, we may not like everyone in that field and everyone in that community. But if there wasn't a pro-life embryologist out there, there would be no embryo adoption. So, you know, let's not assume that everybody in this field is suspect or evil. We've got friends in this field 
So those are some of the important things to know. Um, also then just to recognize that, uh, you know, with domestic adoption, we know that the number of families hoping to adopt outnumbers the birth mothers by probably 50 to one. So, you know, for every woman who's willing to place her baby for adoption, there's 50 families hoping to adopt that baby. What are we going to do about the other 49? Well, someone could say, well, that's not my problem. And I think that's true. You know, it's certainly not the birth mom's problem. It's not the crisis pregnancy center's problem. Um, but it is nice that God seems to have thought this through, that, well, there there is another way we can rescue. For some of those hopeful adoptive families, although we may not like that those embryos were created in the first place and we may not approve of it, they're there. And someone needs to adopt those embryos and those embryos can go to hopeful adoptive families. So just spread the word about it that you've got many adoption options. You can adopt from foster care. You can adopt from another country. You can adopt a baby from unplanned pregnancy, but you've also got this option. And so back to those people who, who think we need to solve one problem first, I believe there is room for all four types of adoption to simultaneously be pursued. There's enough need for all four types of adoptions to be pursued, and there's definitely enough demand. You know, there's enough needy couples for all types of adoption, and there's enough needy children for all types of adoption. We, we can work on all of this together. Hmm. Wow. Um, so when it comes to, you know, this heroic, I, I, you know, essentially when it comes to a, a birth mom adopting a frozen embryo and, and essentially helping that embryo go on to, you know, to find a birthday and so on. And what essentially to me, that seems like a very heroic and pro-life amazing decision for someone, you know, for a couple to make, um, what are the, what are the advantages or disadvantages or what are the, um, you know, the hardships and the benefits of, of a decision like that? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, sometimes doctors scratch their head and, and try to one, you know, wonder and figure out why would anyone even do this? If you take it from the doctor's perspective, they're like, why wouldn't everybody try to create their own embryos, not just for financial gain for the doctor, but like they just assume that everybody out there who's having trouble having a baby would just prefer to use every medical process available to them to do what they can to have a child who's fully genetically related to them or at least partially genetically related to them so they just can't figure out why we why anyone is doing this but there's there's some real obvious reasons Jacob why people choose embryo adoption um the first is back to what i said about the differences between embryo and domestic adoption some people do this because they don't want to worry about the prenatal environment drug exposure uh, some people do it because they don't want to worry about being picked by a birth mom or a birth mom changing their mind. Uh, another reason people do this is they don't want to have biological children because there's a medical condition that's hereditary in their family. So it could be that a woman is very able to, she's fertile and able to carry, but afraid that if she does have a child, that child will have cystic fibrosis or Lou Gehrig's disease or something like that. <clears throat> so every once in a while, some people will say, 
we think adopting an embryo is a better choice for us than having biological children. <clears throat> Some people choose this because of age. If someone's 45 years old, they may think that there's too high of a risk of them getting pregnant naturally that their child will have Down syndrome or something like that. So they just choose to adopt an embryo rather than have biological children because of how old they are. Uh, some hmm. people choose embryo adoption purely out of a sense of rescue. Uh, every year, we have a handful of families who are so pro-life that they will literally call us up and say, we feel called by God to rescue an embryo. We already have six biological children. We don't have any difficulty conceiving, carrying, or giving birth. We just feel called by God to rescue embryos. And then they'll take the next step, Jacob. They'll say, give us your hardest embryos you've got. In other words, the embryos that no one wants, the embryos that have been sitting around for decades, mm. the embryos we can't get matched. And we always do have those embryos. We have embryos that are stigmatized for one reason or another. The doctors don't want them. The adoptive families don't want them. But then we'll have that spectacular couple say, give us your hardest embryos. Uh, but let me give you one last reason why people choose this. It's because they know that either egg donation or sperm donation is one possibility for them to build their family, to get a child who's half genetically related to them. And although there are people out there who do that, the people who come to the Snowflakes program, they aren't comfortable with a child who's half genetically related. They would just rather adopt. They, in other words, they're not comfortable with an egg donor or they're not comfortable with a sperm donor. Or they're not comfortable with what that means for them as a couple, and they're not comfortable with how they're going to explain that to their kids. Or maybe they're not comfortable theologically with the idea of breaking the marriage bed by having, you know, sperm or egg from another non-married person. So for theological reasons or for emotional reasons, they say sperm and egg donation are not right for us. So we would just rather adopt, but they're still able to carry so they adopt an embryo instead of adopting an infant. Hmm. Yeah, I do know. Yeah, out of my experience, I know of one woman where she said that she um, she had two embryos implanted, and you know, because they were um, if they, if if someone didn't adopt them, they were going to be destroyed, and. And so, and I just remember thinking, like, I didn't know much about that at the time and that it was very, I yeah, I didn't, I didn't really even connect it until working with your group, to, you know, as to what that really might mean or is. Yeah. So how often do embryos get destroyed or what does that look like? Well, there's that there's a looming sociological problem on the horizon that has not fully been realized yet, but it will be. So the answer to your question is, uh, not as often here as in Canada or Australia or Great Britain, who have all passed mandatory destruction laws. So for instance, in most other English speaking countries, there's a mandatory destruction law that after 10 years of an embryo being in storage, if there's not a plan for usage, you know, for life, then they must be destroyed. Let me explain why those countries have passed those laws. It's because eventually the couples who've created those embryos are going to get divorced or die. And then what are we going to do when those couples who've gotten divorced or die, what are we going to do with those embryos? 
there's going to be a battle. If they get divorced, there's going to be a battle over the future of those embryos. One spouse wants the embryos to live and one spouse wants the embryos to die. Uh, there's If the couple dies and the children inherit those embryos, there's going to be a battle among the children. Are we going to give the embryos to another couple? Are we going to destroy the embryos? Are we going to use them maybe in the family? You know, someone else give birth or what, what's going to happen to those embryos? So unfortunately, a lot of other countries have said in order to prevent divorce and death leading to giant custody battles, we'll just kill all the embryos. Well, the mm -hmm. U.S. has not yet passed an embryo destruction law, but I bet they will. I don't think it'll be nationwide, but I bet you states are going to start to pass embryo destruction laws as especially the blue states, you know, are going to start passing these laws. Um, just we've got mm -hmm. a culture of death and it's going to be the simple solution to prevent these custody battles. Hopefully then we'll see um, some of the conservative life affirming states uh, ban the destruction of embryos and say that you have to give your embryos life. You know, maybe, maybe we'll see a division there. But currently in the U.S., most embryos aren't being destroyed. Most embryos are being indefinitely frozen with no plan. But in our neighboring nations, they are being destroyed. And I'm afraid that's the destiny if we don't do something about it here. Hmm. Wow. So when it comes to this work that you've been doing, um, where have you seen God's fingerprints or where have you seen God show up in this space? Constantly, but I'll give you a few examples. Let's go back to my phrase about the so-called bad embryos. We actually have more statistics on embryos than any one doctor because we've had thousands of embryos donated to our program and we've had over a thousand babies born. So, you know, we, we've, we have a larger program than your typical doctor's office. So when we hear doctors say that they don't like an embryo or they think an embryo is bad quality, we smirk not only theologically knowing that, well, God's in charge of all of this, but we also know just statistically that doctors can't say that. We know that every embryo could result in life. Despite what the doctor thinks, every embryo, embryo has potential. There's no bad embryo. So just a simple example, we had two so-called bad embryos that no doctors wanted. And we finally found a doctor to do the transfer. And those two embryos resulted in three babies. One of the embryos actually split. The family had three babies from two embryos. So who's laughing now? You know, uh, so we get to see God's promise that every life is worth redeeming come true if we'll just give him a chance. We give him a chance and God's going to pull through and show that uh, he can give life to any one of these embryos. He's in charge of this process. Another example, just this year, we had a uh, what, what became our one of our longest waiting embryos. Most of the people who are in our program tend to be Caucasian and tend to be Christian. Every once in a while, we'll have someone donate embryos who's not Caucasian or not Christian, and it just makes it a little harder for us to find an adoptive family because most of our families are Christian. So uh, we had an Indian couple who were probably Hindu, 
and their embryo sat and waited for quite a while because we didn't have an adoptive family for them. And eventually, years later, as we just waited and were patient and knew that God had a family for these embryos, but they were our longest waiting embryos, we did find a couple um, who were the same ethnicity, but were a Christian couple. And they adopted the embryos and said yes. Unfortunately, a baby wasn't born from those embryos, but it at least proved that there is a family for every for every facing placing family. There's an adoptive family. For every adoptive family, there's a placing family, and we've known that to be true in the 63 years that we've had a domestic program. I mean, we had a paraplegic adoptive father, and just if you look at him, you wonder, are we ever going to find a birth mom? Well, we had a birth mom take a look at this paraplegic adoptive father and say, him, I want to, well, you know, with this couple, she said, I want to place with this couple. So, you know, God has a birth mom out there for every family and has a family for every birth mom. Uh, we had a, an Amish couple in our program and we wondered what birth mom is going to choose an Amish couple. And so we debated whether we should take an Amish couple in because we didn't know if we'd have a birth mom who would choose an Amish couple. And one of our staff members said, Dan, if nightlight Christian adoptions can't find a birth mom for an Amish couple, then there's no one who can. You know, if God doesn't, she said, if God doesn't have a birth mom for them through us, then where does God have this birth mom? And so we said yes to the Amish couple. And of course they got picked. Of course there was a birth mom who looked at a couple and said, this is exactly where I want my baby to grow up. So we see God in charge in, in all the work we do. Oh, that's good. Yeah, thank you for sharing these stories. Um, so when it comes to pregnancy clinics having, and the reason why I say pregnancy clinics is most people that listen to this podcast are in that yeah. space. <laughs> so when I guess when it comes to, let's say, well, let's go to pastors because I know this. You know, everyone who listens, you know, has a pastor, and hopefully, we have several pastor listeners. But when it comes to a pastor, what message would you have for them when it comes to how they could speak or yeah. sh well, share? Well, I, mean, I would start on the embryo donation side because I think that's where the importance of the pro-life message and the first step in the dominoes falling to give that child life begins is with the, the family who has embryos in storage. And so I would tell pastors, either on Orphan Sunday or on Mother's Day or Father's Day, or at least once a year, include in your message a statement. Hey, if you've got embryos in frozen storage, you feel guilty about it, I know you do. Well, it's time to stop feeling guilty and just do something about it. Give those embryos a chance of life donate them to the Snowflakes program. It only takes one minute to do it. Those people know who they are. They know what this is. I mean, you've been talking about how you didn't know about Snowflakes, but trust me, those people know who they are and they are in your church and they know what embryo donation is and they know this is an option available to them. They just need someone to tell them it's time. It's not even that they need someone to tell them to do it. Because, Jacob, believe it or not, even though our families are all pro-life who donate their, their, their embryos, you know, it takes a pro-life person to do this. You know why they finally, you know how the timing comes about? It's, it's rather silly, but people make the decision on timing because they get a storage bill. 
So they get a bill from their embryo storage facility that says you owe us $1,500 for the next 12 months of embryo storage. And it's not that they resent the $1,200 and it's not that they've never thought about embryo adoption. It's this, they say to their husband, you know, honey, we've talked about embryo adoption in the past and we said we were going to do it. And here's this $1,200 bill or $1,500 bill. And I know that this amount of money isn't going to make or break the decision, but it seems that it's time. You know, are we really going to pay this bill and store these embryos for another year? Or are we going to do what we've already been talking about doing, which is decide today to give these embryos to another couple? So that's why the pastors are going to be so effective if they just mention this once a year. The couples have thought about donating their embryos. Uh, they just need one more push in that direction. And sometimes that bill is the push, but maybe it'll be the pastor speaking to them. Um, so that's the first thing I would say to pastors about it. And then the second would be as far as the adoptive families, just be aware that there are multiple ways to adopt and that if a woman is able to carry but not able to conceive, embryo adoption is a better decision for her than domestic adoption because embryo adoption does not have the wait, the long line of people waiting that domestic adoption does. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. How many adoption agencies include the, you know, the talking point or the conversation about snowflakes or embryo adoption? Oh, uh, almost none. In fact, there's really only one major, major, um, partner or, you know, a similar program to ours in the country. So most embryo adoptions in this country, uh, I'll pick a number that's just an educated guess. Let's say 90% of embryo adoptions in this country are done by either Snowflakes or the NEDC, the National Embryo Donation Center. But back to your question, the National Embryo Donation Center is not an adoption agency. It's a clinic. So although they have a program similar to ours, they're not an agency. We do the home studies. They don't do home studies. Uh, they don't have the same matching criteria or process that we have, which I you know, was talking about the social work element. And they also don't have the same push for openness that we have. They um, kind of lean toward closed adoptions rather than open adoptions. So their, their model is a clinic model largely and is not an adoption agency. Nevertheless, they're our best friend in this field. They're our biggest partner, and they're the most pro-life people working in the field of embryology. Um, so other than the two of us, there's a couple non-Christian tiny programs that are out there that aren't agencies, and there's a couple Christian programs that aren't agencies that are out there. But as far as licensed agencies that have an embryo adoption program, I'm actually not aware of one. I'm aware of some licensed agencies who attempted to do an embryo adoption program years ago because we assisted them. So we gave them all the tools, we, we helped them get started, we helped them get up and running. But today I am not aware of a adoption agency with an embryo program other than us. So, so for, you know, the the adoption agencies without an embryo program, what's it look like for them to provide a referral? Well, um, first of all, it would just 
be good practice for them to educate clients on all the options that they have, right? So um, they do the best service. Sometimes we tell people, well, I mean, three out of four of the people who inquire of our agency don't proceed. So we're referring people all day long. You give people all the information they're looking for, help people be go where they're going to be successful. So I would tell other adoption agencies, your uh, best service to that client is to tell them about all their options. But um, if we want to sweeten the pot, you know, we have partners we, with certain uh, agencies who say, would you like to um, get a referral fee from our agency? And we've offered referral fees to partner adoption agencies for sending people because of this uh, assumption. Since there's so many people who are lining up for domestic adoption, if we assume it's 50 to one, you know, 50 families for every birth mom, if you turn one of your prospective clients to embryo adoption instead of domestic adoption, you're not gonna do fewer domestic adoptions this year, right? You're, you're, the number of domestic adoptions that an agency does this year is not equal to the number of families. It's equal to the number of birth moms. So they could be turning people all day long to snowflakes and still have the identical number of adoptions they would have had otherwise because it's the number of birth moms they serve. So just in the interest of giving families all their options and educating them fairly, um, they should let them know about it. But uh, if they want to sign up for our partnership program, we do have a referral fee agreement. So when it comes to an embryo, an embryo, a frozen embryo, how old is that frozen embryo before it's frozen? That's a good, oh, before it's frozen. So usually it's three or four or five days. And, and so have they ever been like rescue, you know, when it comes to like, you know, where is that? Is it, uh, yeah, on the, is it, yeah. Where, where is it pulled out of the body? Is it the placenta oh, area or yeah. is it the fallopian tubes or? No, it's before either that process. So these are test tube babies. So these are created in a test tube with sperm and egg, typically from a married couple, you know, so the, Let's say that the husband has an extremely low sperm count, you know, down maybe uh, almost negligible, but some doctors will say, well, I can always find one. So if, if the reason a couple's having a fertility issue is the husband has a near zero sperm count, then the doctor will find one sperm and put that in a Petri dish with an egg from the wife. And then the, the married couple will create a embryo that's in a Petri dish that embryo will be grown out for three or four days and then either implanted immediately in the same birth mom, you know, the same, the same mom whose egg that was, you know, her own genetic child, or that embryo will be frozen and used for later purposes. If we could take embryos out of fallopian tubes or uteruses, um, that would be phenomenal for the sake of preventing abortion um, I, I remember exhibiting at a pro-life event one time where there was a pregnancy center with a booth next to us. And I told her a little bit about embryo adoption. And she said, oh, well, you're what we need. You're what we're looking for. What if we could take these babies out of our women who are you know, facing unplanned pregnancy and then give them to other couples to finish the pregnancy? But it doesn't work like that. These are embryos that were grown in a Petri dish and um, never implanted yet. Okay. 
Yeah. That's interesting. Has that ever been attempted to have one? Well, you know, my guess is that I I suppose that it has been attempted, but essentially that would be like an ectopic pregnancy and an ectopic pregnancy is when the embryo starts to grow in the fallopian tube and becomes a life-threatening situation. And I would assume every woman who had an ectopic pregnancy would prefer that the doctor simply move it, right? Couldn't you just move it from the fallopian tube to the uterus? Um, If that could be done, it would be done, but apparently Mm. it can't be. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Those are good thoughts. And yeah, things to consider maybe in the future again as yeah. Well, you know, is people with fresh eyes or f- somehow figure things out. But, um, well, thank you so much for sharing this really helpful insight. And I really appreciate your group, you know, doing what you're doing. And, um, I'm trying to, adjust, yeah, essentially, it just feels like there needs to be awareness and an understanding. And, and I can, I can, uh, and based on what you said, I can understand why the Catholic Church or certain groups are, you know, you are are not on board with the way IVF, you know, way it's, way it's, way it started, but, and I agree, I don't, you know, now that we have these frozen embryos giving life and helping them continue is, is the only pro-life option um, when it comes to, yeah, you know, aware that there is tremendous loss in the course of IVF. You know, although the statistics I referred to earlier that the CDC says, you know, one clinic may have a 55% success rate, another 45. But the truth is, we see 90% of these embryos that die. You know, nine out of 10 die. Only one out of 10 that's ever created. Um, it's just those 40 and 50%. That's from those that are implanted that lead to a pregnancy. But even there, the woman's usually implanted with two embryos and they had to create four in order to get to that point. So we're so painfully aware that nine out of 10 of these embryos are not living and that it's not, it's not good. It's not good. What's happening with IVF, you know, and when we see that tremendous loss, it does make us equally concerned. Be, be assured our staff feel that loss, but we're just trying to solve the problem that's currently before us. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. So, Usually at the end of these podcasts, I like to invite you know my guests to to pray in a way that those who are listening can pray alongside or with you, and and so and I think we're at that time when it comes to like how how it when you cry out to God and with the expectation that those who are listening can cry out with you, yeah, would you yeah pray in a way that will yeah call for good things into this space yeah. and for people yeah, I'd love to. Let's pray. All right. All right. Thank you. Lord, I I pray that there would be more friends aligned in the effort to rescue these embryos and give them a chance of life. We pray, God, that church members who have embryos in storage would do what may feel like the harder thing in giving their embryo to another couple. But we just pray that you would inspire them, equip them, and prepare them for that hard decision and make it easier by warming their heart toward that idea. We pray for an increase in the awareness of embryo donation and adoption so that it would be on the forefront of the pro-life movement and churches involved in that work. Lord, we pray 
for there to be more pro-life doctors in this field. Uh, feels like there are so few. And God, we pray for a sense in the pro-life community that we need as many friends as we can get. And so we don't need to make any enemies of the the people alongside us in this field. We have plenty of enemies on the outside and don't need any on the inside of the pro-life movement. So we just pray that we work together in the most beautiful way with everyone who's like-minded. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and iRapture.com. The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of iRapture.com. If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.